Hey everyone, this is Mel. And this is Jill. And this is Mel and Jill Geek Out. Hey Jill. Hi Mel. How's it going? Not too bad. Not about yourself. You know, not too bad. I uh, I officially feel moved in. We are officially out of boxes. I see all of the boxes. I have things on my walls. Um, I learned that I'm a very fundamentally different person than my husband because he had like the laser level and special (laughs) picture hanging tools and all of these things, and I'm like. Yeah, see, I would have just put a nail in the wall and like hoped for the best. Yeah, I'm an eyeballer for sure. I'm an eyeballer. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah. Now, I will say this when it comes to like hanging a television, I'll is a little different because it does That's need different. to be level. Level. Things that need to be level, sure. But like I can eyeball a picture. I, 100%. Not not John. He actually puts effort into it. <laughs> Which I love. I love that about him. But it did mean that we do have quite a few pieces of artwork. It took like twice it as took long, him, didn't it? It took him all week. All week. <laughs> all week. <laughs> I had gotten it done in an afternoon. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but it does look great. Everything looks wonderful. I'm very happy. It feels more homey now that there's things up on the walls. It feels less stark. To be fair, I just said that it would have taken me an afternoon. However, that's once I get started. It'll take me an afternoon. I have pictures that have been sitting in my garage for months now. I have not painted up on the walls yet. So yeah, we had this problem where like 85% of everything was in picture frames that like mm-hmm. could be put into a picture frame. And then we had like that 15% that were not. And every single one was in different oddball motherfucking size. <laughs> it's always like that. Right? So he had to go to like three different places to get frames for everything. Oh yeah. That's always how it is. So that was fun. I've got some prints that I need to order mats for and frames. They're all bow sizes as well. So yeah, mat is easy. You could literally just buy straight up mat board and then just do the measurements and the cuts yourself. Like it's really not hard. Yeah, it was finding the right mat. That's color. true. Because these are very cool line. Um, drawings line drawings line graphics of the some of the star wars planets and so we had to go kind of try to find the right color to match the The planet planet. totally makes sense which was difficult because a couple of them are similar colors so and i don't remember the name so please don't ask (laughs) you might remember because we discussed this so i know one of them was hoth the Uh snow planet is that the one with the like red ice when it breaks? No, that is a different planet. I don't remember the name of that planet. Okay. And I think it was Tatooine was the other one. 
Maybe. The one with two sons. Isn't that, is that blue too? No, that would be like a tan brown color. It was like a blue and a silver color. They were like really close to each other. Mm hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I also have a lot of Star Wars art. You're, so many, many years ago, I don't even Joel remembers this. She cross-stitched me a Yoda and a Darth Vader. Oh my God, I forgot about that. That was like very early into our friendship too. <laughs> yes, it is officially hung up in my kitchen. Oh, is it really? Mm-hmm. I'm honored I made the wall. You, of course you made the wall. That's With all awesome. of our other Star Wars art. That's great. Oh, can you send me a picture? I don't even remember what it looks like. Yeah, I can send you a picture. Oh, I'll put it on the episode Instagram. Yes. And be like, here, and everyone will get to see a small piece of my house. My youngest actually recently asked me if I could teach her how to cross stitch. I don't know where it came from either. She was just like, can you show me how to do this? I was like, yes, I can. Do it, girl. I learned it about her age, too. Yeah. So... I- Okay, speaking of needle things. Needle things? Yes. Needle are we crafts. Po- what are we poking ourselves with? Why? No. My I saw so I never learned how to crochet. My sister did, my cousins mm-hmm. did, and my mom did. And we have a, a cousin group chat and I sent a link to a Facebook page and this woman had crocheted a marauder's map blanket. <laughs> And it was so detailed and it was so impressive and it was huge. And they were like, oh my God, they're like, I can crochet, but not that well. And I'm like, I can't crochet at all. <laughs> so I can crochet. I wouldn't be able to do that. I can do very, like I could make you a blanket or like a scarf. Uh, it would yeah. take me a while. I can't. I, you know, I've never been yeah. able to do it. Um, yeah, my mom taught me. I can't and, keep track of the counts. Oh, yeah. I always do everything in counts of 10. So I get lost. Yeah. Even in cross stitch, sometimes I get lost. I'll miss a stitch and then I'll have to like go back and undo it. Or like sometimes I'll just leave it because I'm like, nope, I, I have gone too far. Cannot undo it. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So. But anyway. Seriously. Yes. And F1 is coming up very soon. Yes. I'm very excited. First race of the season is right around the corner. Right around the corner. And we have officially like opened up the the F1 league. I, so we're, yeah. we've got a bunch of new people coming in. Very excited. I know. It's gonna be good. We have to think of a good name for yours, though. I think I think Ghosts of Gunther's Past is I think that's you know, hard, hard to beat, but yes. we got to get you a good one too. What? Are, where is your vibe going? I, I desperately want to make it Taylor Swift related. Okay. Be, okay. To just continue to be that obnoxious Swifty. Um, just, I'm going to, I'm going to lean into it, but lean into the Swiftiness of it all. But I'm having such a hard time for a few reasons. Like, because some of them, like, is a good one, like, drunk in the back of the car, drunk in the back of the F1 car. That's really long. It's great, yeah. but it's really long. It is. It is long. So it's just like, it's, it's, it's trying to find the nice balance of it. F1 slash 
Swifty. But then it's mm-hmm. like, do I lean into the whole Travis Kelsey Alpine money bags aspect? No, I don't know. Do, do you lean into the, you know, former rumors that she was dating Alonzo? Exactly. It's like there's there's so many ways to approach this and I'm having a really difficult time. And I also don't know if anyone else is going to appreciate it. I'm probably like way over there. I'm going to ask ChatGBT and just see what it just see what it says. Let's see. Let's see. ChatGBT. Okay. Can you please cuz yes, if you ask nicely, ChatGBT does better work for you. Interesting. Give me fantasy F1 team names that relate to Taylor Swift. For the 2024 season. For the 2024 season. Certainly. Shake and shift racing. (laughs) Shake and shift. Fearless formula. Not bad. Enchanting engines. Speak now speedsters. (gasps) I don't hate it. 1989 Grand Prix. Don't hate that. These are all workable. Folklore F1 squad. No, thanks. Uh, Red Taylor Racing. Actually, not bad. Reputations Racers. Mm. You can work that. Workable. Uh, Lover's Lane. No. Um, Evermore Velocity? No. <laughs> I feel like there might be an opportunity playing it, on Lond- London Boy. That might be fun. A pun, a pun version. Because that's kind of what I'm looking for, I guess. Please give me some pun, pun versions. It's thinking. Oh, certainly. Revved up reputation. No. Speak now or race later. Um, maybe. Mm. Fast and fearless. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. What about just like F1 Taylor's version? That's not bad actually. <laughs> That's not bad actually. Taylor's version. I know it has to be I don't know. I like I feel I'll, like I'll, maybe that would be my username. Album title Grand Prix works. Like you could do Reputation Grand Prix. You could do 1989 Grand Prix. You could do Midnight's Grand Prix. No. No. I mean you you're just not feeling it, but you no, could I'm do just it. I'm not feeling it. And and I and I'll tell you why because I know I don't think you're actually in the league yet. I'm not. Okay. So when you see the names, which I am not going to say out for the internet here. 
um, you will understand why that doesn't fit the vibe. Not okay. a bad name doesn't fit the vibe. I'll just say that. It's very much like the last, my last team name very much took the piss out of my husband. Which, sorry, but to clarify, that means in British slang, like make fun of my husband. He's a huge Ferrari fan. He loves Charles Leclerc. And so I named my team Charles's Wank. So. You love Carlos Sainz. I do. And see, that was the other thing. That was the other I, thing. I Okay, go ahead. Sainz Ishinol Swift Speedsters. No. But anything sensational because that is hilarious. I don't love that one. But that's hilarious. It's just the word sensational. Incorporate it however you want. Sensational. Like sensational, but science. I was trying to think of something, even even if it's not Taylor Swift related. Um, actually, saying that this might work because. I think that Carlos Sainz looks like Prince Eric. Mm-hmm. And I just remember on the Torture Poets department, there's a track <laughs> Daddy, I love him. <laughs> I could put Eric, I could put Carlos Sainz as the, the picture. You could. <laughs> I would be the only person to get that. You and me would be the only people to get that. I, and everyone who listens to the pod. Yeah, but that doesn't matter because they're not in the league. No one else in the league is going to get it. <laughs> you know, it's they just need to up their power level. Agreed. I agree. I really would love a local Swifty, too. That would be super fun. Sorry, I can't help you there. That's all right. Okay, so because we're 15 minutes in, I'm going to now institute a rule. A rule. That I said earlier. Because we we have this great ability to talk about and name things for a very long amount of time. And then we, we, end, up, we end up cutting ourselves off at the foot with the actual content of the episode. We do. We are not great at sticking to the plot, okay? That's just not what we're here for. So, because of that, we're we're limiting... We're going to limit the, like, chit-chat at the beginning to one topic. And that was it. That was it. That was the one topic. It was technically, like, three. um, But they were quick. But it's fine. But it was was quick. It's fine. It's not going to be, like, that last VPR episode where there was, like, 40 minutes of us diving into... It was a good it why was like, the movie business is the way it is. Listen, it was a good conversation. It was a it great, was great conversation. It was yeah. great. We probably should have made it a digress episode. You know, you live, you learn. <laughs> you live and you learn. You live and you learn. Okay, you so we are going to be talking about Iron Flame today. This is your official spoiler warning. If you have not read like any of Iron Flame. Go do that and then come back. So technically we left off at chapter eight, but then I realized in the time since we have recorded that 
we failed to talk about something very, 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 very important in chapter two. That's right. You pointed this out to me. I was like, I couldn't believe that we skipped fucking right over this. (laughs) We were having a really good conversation about the thing directly before it. Yeah. So we're going to talk about it now before we jump into chapter eight. So we're going to rewind our brains and go back to chapter two. And that is when Violet is having kind of an in-depth question and answer session with Brennan when they're still in Eurasia. So right after she um, makes note of the rune-shaped scar on his palm, which we don't ever get any clarification on, but I have theories about... One of the questions she asked him was, how exactly is he alive and where is his dragon? And so this is what Brennan says in response. Um, Or she asks her one at a time, and this is where she goes. Okay. Taryn's previous writer, I suggest slowly, wondering he... he, uh, Words are hard. I suggest slowly, wondering if he was more than that to Brennan. Wondering if he was more than that to Brennan. Okay. So she's implying there might be some kind of deeper relationship between Brennan and this other person who we know is Naolin. He was a siphon who tried trying to save you, according to Professor Kaori. My heart sinks. I'm sorry your writer died saving my brother. And she says that to Taryn. And Taryn responds with... We will no longer speak of the one who came before. Taryn's voice is rough. We're going to keep a lot of these things in, in mind. A corner of Brennan's mouth lifts. I miss Kaori. He's a good man, he sighs, lifting his head to hold my gaze. Naolin didn't fail, but it cost him everything. I woke up on a cliffside not far from here. Marb had been wounded but he was alive too. And the other dragons dot, 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 his amber color eyes met mine. There are other dragons here and they saved us. Hit us in a network of caves within the Valley. Then later with the civilians who survived the city being scorched. So we learned some really critical pieces of information here. We learned that Naolin was definitely a siphon, definitely did something to help save Brennan. Mm-hmm. And the, obviously he didn't fail. So Br- Brennan, I don't know if it was his dragon who was wounded or if it was Brennan who was ru- wounded. It sounds like it was the dragon who was wounded. And remember, a rider without a dragon is dead. So the dragon dies, the rider dies. So Naolin was trying to save the dragon based on this description from my understanding. Uh-huh. You're processing. Because it says Marib had been wounded, but he was alive too. Yeah, I didn't get that. <laughs> You thought it had been Brennan who had been wounded? I I honestly didn't. It didn't matter to me. It was what he said about it. It was what it cost him everything. It cost him everything. So both Taryn and 
Brennan have not actually confirmed that Naolin is dead. I don't think he is. I have- Taryn, I don't think he is either. Taryn says we do not speak of the one who came before. That does not sound like someone who is dead. And it cost him everything does not sound like he's dead. I think it people could interpret it that way, but I don't. I, I don't. sure as hell don't. I don't. I when we finish this book, we will. I ha- I will tell you all about my theory of what happened to Naelin. Okay. And there's other dragons in, like, because they were close to Erasia, and so there's other dragons there who don't participate in the Basquiat bonding. I'm just going to leave that out there because I feel like we need to. I feel like we need to. So that is... um, She just whipped out a sticky to put in her book. So I am removing the sticky so I didn't forget to bring this back up. Okay. I do have a lot of notations in this book. Okay. I have a lot of flags going on and I was working on my reread today and I used an entire section. I don't know how many are in a section of my little sticky notes, but I used an entire section today. I'm just saying there's some important things in this book. So we are going to jump ahead back to chapter eight and chapter eight is conscription day. Hang on. I'm flipping pages. Don't judge me, everyone. Okay. I'm there. So it's conscription day and Violet doesn't like she, her job is essentially to record the cadets names before they cross parapet. And she and Rhiannon are doing that together. And so it is super fun. Um, you know, she's still sad about Zayden, but also mad at him. And they start, the cadets start coming up the, up the tower to cross and Violet sees somebody she recognizes. And it is this guy, Cam, who she knows as the King's third son and someone she has been friends with before because Her mom is a high-ranking military official, and she's been around these people. And he comes in under the pseudonym of Eric Greycastle in order to avoid his father noticing. And she's like, there's no way people aren't going to know who he is. She she makes the notes of... um, Even if I didn't recognize him from the dozens of times our parents' lives have tossed us into the same room, those startling green eyes mark him the same way my hair does me. He is not going to fool anyone who's ever met his father or any of his brothers. Well, I guess we'll see. We will see. And then we have another pleasant surprise shortly after that. I mean, it's not like a surprise. We knew it was going to happen. Yes, but Sloane, but- who is, uh, oh my God, Liam's. Liam. I totally spaced on his name for like ten seconds. Don't judge Liam. me. Um, Liam's sister comes 
and she is next and she is not a fan of Violet. I, I wasn't entirely expecting that. Not entirely surprised by it, but I don't think Violet was expecting that. I don't think she was expecting like I, I think Violet has gotten a little used to the fact that the rebellion kids that she spends time with at Basgaith all have sort of accepted her and like see her independent of her mother, but she has forgotten that there are many, many people who are children of rebellion leaders who have not had that lived experience with her yet. So they don't, they only see her as her mother's daughter. Mm. Yeah. So it doesn't, it didn't really surprise me, but I also was, had slightly higher hopes for Sloan. Just going to say that. Just going to say that uh, Sloan it's gets early. there. It's early. And she uh, sucks at everything. And Violet kind of like breaks the rules a little bit because she is not supposed to help her. And she does end up giving her advice of tying back her hair and doing those kinds of things so she can get across the parapet more safely. I think she also kind of did it because her sister did it for her. Yeah. And she you did know? it for Liam. Yeah. Because she made Liam that promise that he she would help his sister. So then Dane does then make this, you know, peace offering to Violet by moving both Eric and Sloan into fourth wing so she can keep an eye on both of them because he also obviously recognizes Eric for who he really is. Mm -hmm. So they both do make it across the parapet and it um it you know goes as expected. People fall, people die, you know, normal things. So they get to the little meeting grounds. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. I'd like kind of imagine it like on top of a castle, but then kind of not because it doesn't make any sense. But like I, dragons perch up on the sides. I don't really get it. I do you want to know what I picture? Yes, I want to know. Like a like a big coliseum. And there's oh. just a field in the middle and then like the dragon perches are all around it. Okay. I can like see a, that. Almost like a quidditch field. Maybe? Yeah. Okay. I can get on board with that. Who knows? <laughs> so the ceremony starts with Panchek's ominous yet pompous welcome to the first years. And then there's a new vice commandant. And then they get like kind of this, you know, everybody goes through all of their speeches, but we have this new vice commandant who is there. And we know who this is. It's Varish. He sucks. He sucks a lot. He does. Um, so the dragons all come and land as they normally do. And one of those dragons is this one-eyed dagger tail that Taren calls Solus. Um, and there is, we immediately learn that Taren does not trust him. When you, uh, when he lands on the sides, she says to Tarn, what do you know about Mar Major Varish's orange? He looks dot, 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 unstable. 
and hungry, she thinks to herself. Solus is there. His tone sharpens. Is Solus a one-eyed orange dragon tail? Yes, he doesn't sound happy about that. Do not take your eyes off him. Mm-hmm. So we have a psychopathic human bonded with a psychopathic, psychopathic dragon. dragon. <laughs> Sounds about right. We love that. And so there is obvious chaos that seems to break out every time um, the dragons land and somebody takes off, which happened last year too. Um, but instead of just scorching the runners, they scorch like an entire section of third wing. And yeah. by they, I mean Solus, the orange dragon tail. The psycho. Yeah. So in, in the process of that happening, Violet kind of, you know, makes sure that Imogen and Eric and Sloan are all okay, but we do lose a new cadet as well. Um, and Violet starts thinking about this of like, how many times are these deaths just because the dragon has decided that this person isn't worthy or they might know too much and they're trying to keep the secret a secret? I definitely forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she she asks some questions, that is for sure. Dragons are keeping secrets, remember? <laughs> Oh, yeah, there's a lot of references to how many dragon, how many secrets the dragons are keeping. So then, you know, it looks like Solus is going to, you know, scorch some more people and Taryn comes in and like intervenes in a very forceful manner. Um, And we learn that Taryn is the one who took his eye and he says this, if Solus comes near you again, he knows I will devour his human whole and let him rot within me with his while his heart still beats. And then I'll take the eye I so graciously left him with. I would not want to be on his bad side. Um, no, I no. wouldn't want to piss off Taryn. Not a little, not even a little bit. And so... She um, is pretty confident that not only does Varish hate her, that Solus is going to not be a big fan because obviously there's some bad blood between Solus and Var or and Solus and Taren. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, not great, not great. Very eventful parapet day, in not a good way. So then with that brings us to chapter nine. And we learn that Violet is having nightmares about what happened in Erasia and what happened at Resin and all of these things. And she very clearly to me has PTSD. Oh, yeah. Untreated PTSD. It's not great. So part of what she has taken up to do after her experiences is that she is now going running with with Imogen. And Imogen kind of invites herself along. But it's honestly kind of a almost healthy outlet because part of it is derived from 
seeing what happened to Liam, seeing what happened during the battle and knowing that she needs to be able to be faster because of how the Venom are and the wyverns and all of those things. And two, because endorphins make you happy. Like endorphins are good for you and exercise is good for you. Despite what she thinks sometimes. It is. It's also a better outlet than I think she probably realizes, you know? Oh, yeah. It's, I know she's doing it out of fear, but I always feel better. Like, I know the whole, like, endorphins make you happy thing. Like, no, really. Like, that's a real thing. You always feel better. Yeah. After a workout. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I actually was like thinking about like I I kind of enjoy being mildly sore if that makes any sense. Yeah. No, I don't like it when I can't move. That's not fun. No, that part's not fun. No, but being able to uh feel your body do things and. To, to feel, I don't know. I feel like so many, so much of the time, we're so disconnected from our bodies. We live so much in our own heads, and to remember, oh, I have muscles here that I've worked out. Like to have that kind of reminded to you almost through the effort of like the soreness from working out. I think could be really healthy. Mine's like I see it as like a reminder of like I put in hard work. Mm-hmm. It's like a. I don't know. It's like, yep, you did good. You did good yesterday. Thing. You know? Not, like, again, not to the point where I can't fucking walk. (laughs) But I am proud of of myself when I achieve things that I didn't think I could before. You know? Uh, Yeah, when you, like, lift more or you can go longer in a... I I think I told you I did, like, a deadlift, like, a real one for, like, the first time in, like properly without like being on a smith machine i'm very proud of myself i'm and proud of you i've continued to do it and gone up and wait so i am very proud of myself <laughs> you're gonna be a valkyrie before you know it I know. i'm gonna i'm i'm just gonna be the person in the library who looks all the information up in the books <laughs> that's fine my trainer joke is like we need to start doing olympic lifting i'm like no the fuck we're not <laughs> no Hey, if you want to be a Valkyrie, you got to put the effort in. No, I mean, I'm I'm happy to do it. I just don't, I don't want to, I want to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if I did that, it would not be as enjoyable. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would avoid it. Yes. So... After the whole running montage with Imogen, then we go to Battle Brief, and Professor Devra introduces Colonel Markham, who we are familiar with from Fourth Wing. He is the lead of the Scribe Quadrant, and he was the one who essentially was grooming Violet as his star pupil to eventually take over the Scribe Quadrant. So... Violet, knowing what she knows now, is not a big fan of Markham, to be honest, because she realizes that he plays an incredibly pivotal role in the lies that they are telling, that he's the one right now who is actively 
changing the history books. So then after, you know, there isn't anything exciting that honestly happens in Battle Brief. It's just kind of, oh, here's Battle Brief. They're telling stories that now she questions now that she knows about the Venon and the Wyvern. They're leaving and Rhiannon is talking to Violet about Nolan and him being like uncharacteristically busy and mentions that there is there's like a heavily guarded room in the infirmary and I have it marked in the book so I will read it to you. I think there's something going on in the healer quadrant she says she is Rhiannon. Lowering her voice. I tried to take a first year to see Nolan yesterday after formation turned into a fire pit and he looks like absolute shit. I mean, the man could barely stand. And when I went to ask him if he was all right and the new vice commandant said he had more important things to do than talk to cadets, basically escorted him to a little room in the back of the infirmary, which is now guarded i think they're hiding something back there interesting words i'm not gonna lie to you when i first read the section i was like okay yeah i didn't it did not think about it i mean why would you i was like but as we will find out it matters it does it definitely it matters does. it matters a lot and so they, you know, then move into <coughs> assessment day for all of the like hand to hand combat stuff. So this is where, you know, we remember last year. Violet got her ass kicked. Because she does. Yeah. And then um, Sloan, Liam's sister, tried to go up against Violet, but they don't <laughs> let her. I like how she was like, you like, like I, trying to call it out. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. Violet might seem small, but she will kick your ass. Yeah. It's like, absolutely. It's like those men who don't play basketball, but mm-hmm. think that they can be a professional female basketball player because she's a woman. You know what I mean? That was the vibe it was giving me. Yeah. It was weird. And so during the <laughs> confrontation, um, somebody comes up and is like, uh, did somebody say Soren Gale? And Nadine turns around and is going to jokingly say it's her um, before this person snaps her neck. Yeah. I, so that gonna, like super caught me off guard. Were you and, expecting that? No, I wasn't expecting that. So this is what it says. This is one line of second years all glance over the shoulders at a bullish first year who threw the scrawny one off of the parapet. There's a second wing patch on his shoulder as he lumbers forward, his hands at his sides. Popular today, aren't you? (laughs) Nadine whispers with a smile, pivoting playfully towards the first year. Hi, I'm Violet Sorengale. She points to her purple hair. See, like my hair? Do you have a message for? He grabs hold of her head and twists, snapping her neck. Ooh. 
It's not good. No. It's not good. No. But before we jump into chapter 10, I have to read the little snippet we have at the beginning. Mm, Let's hear it. It is not unheard of that a candidate enters the writer's quadrant having been paid to assassinate a cadet. I'm sorry Mira was targeted, but proud to say she dispatched the threat quickly. You have enemies, General. Official notice from Commandant Panchak to General Sorengale. So we learn a little piece of information about Mira. That somebody tried to kill her when she was at Basgaeth. At least once. Man, I don't remember this. I know I read all these, but I don't remember. <laughs> and it's interesting that it's blamed on Lilith having enemies and them trying to take out her daughter. So who is she enemies with? Uh, who I would imagine people who want people. you would imagine a lot of people, yeah, but I because I just don't think she's up. You don't think she's a good person? We get no, it. No, 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 didn't say that. I think that she is up to no good. <laughs> I think she is very complex. Probably. Very, very, very complex. Probably. Individual. I mean, usually mom figures are. Yeah. So then we just jump into chapter 10 and uh, starts a fight with Violet and this person. And we don't really know anything about this. And... And Darna wakes up and is freaking out and Taryn is freaking out and everyone is freaking out. But she knows that, like, she kind of has to deal with this. Um, and there's nothing she can do about that. So a fight ensues and she kind of tells everybody, like, no, don't intervene. Let me take this guy on. Because everybody's like, what the fuck just happened? So they're fighting and she, like ends up like kind of cutting his legs a little bit and she scrambles back to her feet. And I made note of this and I think we should all make note of this. She says, I scrambled to my feet and turned back to the giant who has already flipped himself onto his back as if impervious to pain, but he can't stand with what I've done to him. She's like slashed the tendons in his legs. Still like Achilles. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. She literally did the Achilles move. So they're fighting and um, he is like they end up on the ground together and he's choking her and he whispers to her secrets die with the people who keep them. He whispers, bringing his nose an inch from mine. His eyes are light brown, but rimmed in red as though he's on some kind of drug. I love it. Like, I hate that the audience can't see your face because you just get this very like. What's the what's the phrase like stuffed cat face like. I'm not very flattering. I know something you don't know. Like, 
Does that make sense? I mean that in a nice way. It's like I do. Like very um like hmm, I'm the puppet master. <laughs> yeah, like I get my mastermind face. Yes. That's a way better description. So I think there's some very important pieces of description here. Number one, it is literally the threat Eidos gave to her. Like Colonel Eidos said this. But I think it's very interesting we're given such a specific description of his eyes. Yeah, definitely. I think that that is, that will come back later. I absolutely agree. She does ultimately end up beating him. It's it's a tough fight, but she does end up beating him. And after she, you know, he kills him and then like gets out from underneath him, Emerajo comes in and says, He's probably he was probably sent as a message to your mother, Emeretto says, shaking his head. Same thing happened to your older sister during her years. This leads me to think that multiple people tried to kill Mira. And why? Why are so many people trying to kill Mira? Did so did so many people try to kill Brennan? Well, you don't know. You really don't know because you don't necessarily know. Like they, you're not established that the same people were at the college that when Brennan was there. Mm-hmm. So you don't really know. But at the same time, it is very plausible that they are threatening. What's her face? Mira? Yeah, uh, no. Violet? The mom. Lilith. That, yeah, thank you. That they are, like, threatening Lilith by going after her daughters or proving that we can get to your daughters. And if you don't... Potentially. It is it is a plausible story, is what I'm saying. However... I don't... Go ahead. There is, like, the possibility that they're going after the girls... Violet and Mira, but then that begs the question, well, why are they going after both of them? Well, to be fair, the only reason anybody had any threats, like Violet had any threats against her is because so many people didn't think she was an asset to the Quadrant during Fourth Way. Like, the assassination attempts on her had nothing, we know, had nothing to do with her mom. Do we? We... Yeah, because we get the clear motivation from why the one writer lets the unbonded into Mira's room to attempt to kill her. Yeah, no, I guess in I just assume that there could possibly be like larger strings being pulled. Potentially. And that's kind of what I feel in this situation. Also, I don't know what the age gap is between Brennan to Mira to Violet. Obviously, it's several years because Mira is already a lieutenant and out in active service by the time Mira or by the time Violet starts. Right. So was Mira in Basgayeth during the rebellion? And is that part of the reason why people were being sent to attempt to assassinate her? That makes sense. Or was it after Brennan's death and something else was going on? 
You don't have we don't know. Of, that's the problem. You don't have enough context to know where the timeline is. No, but I'm very interested because I feel like this is this can't just get swept under the rug. It it could. It it has the potential to be very inconsequential, but it could also be a very big thing. It could be. So after the fight, <laughs> we she goes back to her room and then we get this line. A heartbeat before I reach for my door handle, I feel it. The familiar midnight tinted shadow wrapping around my mind. Zayden is in her room for his leave. <laughs> Nothing happens. It's very annoying. Yeah. Like he kind of takes care of her and he's proud of her that she took care of this guy on her own. And she tells him that Colonel Adis sent him and he's mad. He's like, I'm sorry. I couldn't kill him first. He's like the first year or Ados. And he's like, both. <laughs> Zayden. <laughs> because he's Zayden. And they talk for a little bit. He tells her about how Samara is. And it's just kind of like normal conversation to the best of their ability. Just normal chit chat. Normal chit chat. They do talk a little bit about, you know, there's some, you know, touching of the relic and things like that that happen. You know, very exciting stuff. <laughs> um. So after they talk about, you know, she's kind of trying to see if like anyone's bullying him. And I'm like, sweetheart, he is a grown ass adult. He can. Uh, handle yeah, he himself. can definitely take care of himself. He can handle himself. They're they're talking and they're talking through the challenges of being a second year. And he says to her, the first year is when some of us lose our lives. He says softly, tucking my damp hair behind my ear. The second year is when the rest of us lose our humanity. It's all part of the process of turning us into effective weapons. And don't forget for one second, that's the mission here. I mean, he, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. I, like that. I remember trying to describe to somebody one time. Like. They were yelling at me. Like kind of being like trying to be motivational. Mm. Like and and I remember trying to explain to this person, like, listen. You don't need to break me down to build me up and yeah. I feel this person was in the military and I feel like this is very much the military's MO mm -hmm. they break you down to build you back up into what they want you to be mm -hmm. and <clears throat> excuse me so I don't know I totally forgot where I was going with this point with how you know the first year is sort of the weeding out of unworthy souls almost at best Gaius, and the second year is the desensitization to mm -hmm. the horrors of war yeah yeah this is this is the breaking down bit mm -hmm. they're about to start the breaking down bit and 
mm-hmm. then you like eventually you'll get to the other side. Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. So then something else happens. A knock sounds at the door and I startle but can't help but notice Zayden doesn't. He sighs and stands heading for the door. What? So it's Bodhi at the door. Because okay. obviously they're going to go do some sneaky, sneaky revolution stuff. But I, it's interesting that it surprises her that someone is at her door, but it doesn't surprise him. And he answers the door already. So he wasn't necessarily like expecting Bodhi at this exact time, but he's not startled when somebody knocks at the door. I'm I'm not sure what you're getting at. I, I took it as like Bodhi knew where to find Zayden. And Zayden knows that Bodhi like, is gonna come looking for him? Well, no, that like they've got shit to do while he's here. I think this is an allusion to something we find out about in more detail later in the book. Maybe. 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 I'm, you know, that kind of person where I think I see signs for stuff everywhere. And so he's getting ready to go leave and she's kind of upset about them not getting to spend more time together. And they talk about like the next weekend she has to go to Samara and she's like, well, how do I find you? And he gives her directions to where his room is and he tells her, like, the wards will let you in. And she's like, let me guess, warded for sound to let in you, me, and anyone you tug through. Because he that's how he warded her room for her. Right. So it'll let him in, it'll let her in, and anyone she openly welcomes into the room. And he's like, no, Violet. He lifts both swords overhead and slips them into the sheaths on the back behind him with practiced expertise with a hint of a smirk. Just you and me. He's gone before I can even reply. With trembling fans, I unfold the paper and smile. Zayden Ryerson wrote me a letter. Aww. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think it's like, there's these, and we talked about this in previous episodes, is that we get these nuggets of Zayden really trying to show her that she can trust him and that he is very much committed to her. Mm -hmm. And this is a shining example of that where he set up the wards for her room specifically that she could essentially bring anybody she wants into her room. He did not set up his own wards the same way. Only he himself and her can get into his private space. He's not welcoming anyone else into that inner sphere of his life. I guess I didn't catch that. I was focused on the letter. The letter is good. We're going to talk about the letter too, but I think it is a very telling thing about how he set up the words. He's obviously trying to protect her, but he's not trying to control her because she can bring whoever she wants into that room. I think that that's clear. I guess that maybe that's why I didn't notice it. Because mm-hmm. I felt like the emphasis was on her 
And I didn't, I didn't catch it on him this time. Yeah. That it is also him showing his commitment to her. Yeah. He is not choosing to be with anyone else. He's not well, interested in anyone else. Clearly I'm as dumb as Violet is. Cause I'm not sure she picked up on that either, but also no, but Violet is a, Bag I was, gonna, of rocks I was just book. about to say, I was like, at least I don't whine about dumb shit. That is very true. Like, oh, here we go. Yeah. But then he also leaves her this letter. And I'm just going to say one thing. I'm going to say it this one time before I lose my shit. Rebecca Yaros, I want the motherfucking letters. <laughs> I, they don't need to be included in the book. Put them on your website. I want the mother fucking letters. I want to read the letters myself. I don't I want care. the letters. I don't care. I want the letters. I want to know. Just pretend it's letters that you got. I want the letters. <laughs> you want the letters. <laughs> I want the letters. Okay? Because then, literally... Beginning of chapter 11. Okay. Okay. In our little snippet. In our little snippet. Okay. We get this. Garrick has always been my best friend. His father was my father's aide, which in a way makes him my Dane, except trustworthy. <laughs> After Liam, Bodie was still, was and still is the closest thing I've had to a brother perpetually tagging along a step behind. And this is recovered correspondence of Lieutenant Zayden Ryerson to Cadet Violet Sorengale. Now that... What does recovered mean, that Rebecca? I, that, that I did notice. I remember reading that. But that was like that at the beginning. It was like that in the first one, too. This is the first snippet from a letter we've gotten from... No, no, no. Like the recovered correspondence or blah, blah, blah. Like, what does it mean? Well, do you want me to tell you my whole endgame guess? That everyone is dead. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, I think lots of people are dead. I don't think everyone is dead. Well, Jacinia clearly isn't, mm-hmm. but you know, um, Zayden, I think probably is, and Violet probably is. Um, yeah. mm, I feel like we're probably gonna lose a Garrick or a Bodhi more likely than the main fucking character of the book. No, I'm talking end of series, they're all dead. Yeah, we still have three more books to go. I'm just saying. I'm I'm saying lots of people are going to die. I don't know if it's going to be Violet or Zayden. In the last books. I don't know. I don't know. Everybody's got to go out George R. R. Martin style now. No. I, I, I want something that is between the George R. R. Martin, like, if you make dumb choices, you're going to die. Which I respect, but like a lot of people die. Like you're not allowed to make any mistakes in a George R. R. Martin book without getting like severe repercussions. Versus, and I mean this with a lot of love. I mean this Sarah J. Mass, who kills very few people. 
Yeah. Like perma kills very few people. Yeah, so far I'll give you that one. Yeah. Maybe that's why I assume everybody's going to die. Because you're used to George R. R. Martin? Yeah, because that was my first, like, fantasy. I'm. You started Kingdom of Ash. I'm shocked you have not texted me 600 times already. <laughs> who is going to die? Because I told you I said everyone's going to die. Um. In Kingdom of Ash? That's the last one, right? Yeah, you're in the last one of yeah. Turn of Glass. Everybody dies. <laughs> no. I no, I honestly thought that that's how I like I don't know. I'm like I'm not that far into it. I'm not farther much farther than what we chatted about the other day. Um, which oh. is still relatively early on. But I just assume everybody's gonna die. Like I I assume everyone's getting the George R. R. Martin treatment. I mean you're not going to have it's going to take a really long time for you to have a good time. Yeah, no, you said Ash. that. I'm aware of that. Like you and my friend who reads have like all very much prepared me to be traumatized to the point where I like I feel like I'm almost a little scared to read the book. Like I don't know at like I'm kind of in a little bit of a stressful period in my life. I don't know if right now is the time I want to be like super emotionally vulnerable to a book. Is it going to make it worse? Like, is it just going to amplify my sadness? (laughs) No, it's going to be a lot of the things. There are a couple of times where it's just like straight up devastating that this thing happened. And Mm -hmm. you're like, I can't believe this happened. Like, really? You did this to me. A lot of it is very cathartic. Okay. Lots of cathartic moments. Speaking of books and crying, did you see her latest video? Kiara's latest video? When Um, Cedric died? Yes. That poor girl. Just, that poor girl. God, it just makes How me, is she going to get through Order of the Phoenix and Half Blood Prince and Deathly Hollows? I don't know. She's going she's to be so wrecked. When Dobby dies? Can you imagine? When Sirius dies? Oh, God. Oh. That's the only time. And Okay, so I got Order of the Phoenix like the day it came out. I read it all day into the night. It was like three o'clock in the morning when I read that part of the book. And it is the only time I have ever physically thrown a book against a wall. I was so (laughs) mad. I was because it is so anticlimactic. It just like happens and you're just like, wait, what the fuck just happened? Yeah, but I feel like that's that's kind of like how death is. Oh, it's a great representation of how death is in in real life. Mm-hmm. But oh my god, as like yeah. seventeen or eighteen year old me, I don't exactly remember how old I was when that book came out. But like, oh my god! And mind you, I read the first four books out of order because it took a really long time for me to find a copy of Prisoner of Azkaban. So I had only read one, two, and four for a really long time. And then I read three 
right before I went into oh, five. Oh, no. Oh, no. That sucks. So I fall in love with this character. Mm, and then immediately the next thing I read is him dying. Yeah, I mean, that super sucks. Um, no, serious. Cedric dying didn't bother. I mean, like, I was... Maybe if I had been older when I read it, I would have been more sad. I guess I don't. I don't know. I don't remember it affecting me as much. I think it wasn't so much. The, I wasn't like emotionally attached to Cedric as a character. Uh huh. He kind of was just like a whatever. Like okay, he's the popular kid, and I was not a popular kid, so he was not somebody I was interested in learning any more about. I think it was when. Voldemort was like kill the spare and like how little he valued life yeah I like that is the thing that got to me I hear you but like that book did not leave as much of an impression on me as the other ones did yeah like well order the phoenix like I remember like gasping when I read like serious falling through the, the thing. whole department of mystery scene yeah i do but like the instant that he fell through that that i was like like uh, oh my heart shattered and then yeah that and then as stupid as it sounds like dobby fucking broke me because dobby starts out annoying as fuck yeah he is just and then he <sighs> grows on you but you don't like Dobby until you get Goblet of Fire because Goblet of Fire is when Dobby turns from this annoyance in Harry's life to this friendly, familiar, positive force. And yeah, and th- I feel like the movie did a great job of like giving him a very good burial scene i loved it and i do appreciate that they did not cut that but i think that they did him such an injustice when it came to like him as a character because there was so much with spew and what's her face winky winky like good god like those were phenomenal scenes and i was like i was so sad that that didn't get included i mean i like i totally understand why it didn't because mm-hmm. there's just literally not enough time in a movie to do it. There's just not. Yeah, but, but you need that to be able to have the emotional attachment. Oh, to yeah. But I just like, oh, God. Cried that. And then again, I mean, like, oh, God. I mean, from that book onward, it just. Boohoo. Did you cry when Snape died? I, I don't. Not so much at Snape dying, just like this overwhelming sense of like, oh God, we got it so wrong. I don't think that anything of what gets revealed about Snape justifies one bit of his actions. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that, but it makes it, it humanizes him a lot to me. It, 
Absolutely. It does make Snape more complex. I will never get over the fact that Harry named one of his fucking children after essentially his mother's stalker. Yeah, I... I I did not I did not love the whole Severus thing. I really didn't. I was like that was like okay. But How at about the same, fucking George. It, it, yeah, I, but I also didn't love that he named him after Dumbledore either because like I very much felt the whole like exactly how Snape did like oh, you raised this kid for fucking slaughter like it just felt really icky yeah when i as a younger reader i Mm. did not have that perception of dumbledore i will be super honest as an adult i cannot stand dumbledore yeah Yeah. i cannot stand him i'm like you left a child in an abusive household because of Mm. some bullshit magic yep that like we later learn he didn't actually need to fucking be there to fucking work. Yeah. You intentionally orchestrated a situation in order for a child to sacrifice themselves for mm-hmm. the like I he's disgustingly manipulative. He is not somebody who I thought should have been placed into this paternal figure for Harry. This is this is the thing about this series is that like I think growing up as it as a kid, I viewed it as this like kind of obviously it was magical, you know what I mean? But it also felt really like inclusive Mm -hmm. and like I don't I don't know how to describe it like everyone was welcome everyone like it wasn't this manipulative I don't know the more like the older I've gotten the less the the rose colored glasses have come off I guess Mm -hmm. it's not as altruistic as I see, as I thought it was as a kid, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's looking back, like it seems that way on the surface, but then when you really kind of look at it in a true, like adult fashion, I guess mm-hmm. it's like, there are, the elements mm-hmm. are there, but it's, I don't know. It falls short. And like you said, it's like, I, I, I did have that visceral reaction initially, like being absolutely disgusted when I realized like how it had gone, like what Dumbledore had done. But as I've gotten older, like you said, it makes it so much like there's more to it. It's like, you did not have to leave that kid in that situation. You didn't. No. They never checked on him. Yeah. It's like you mm, yeah. It it becomes it like as much as I love that story, I love Harry Potter, I love the universe, love all of it. But 
there are pieces of the story that are very problematic the older I get. The the more I look at it as a parent. Mm-hmm. 100%. And, like, it was... It's so interesting to me because I think the fandom around the series is the reason why the series has like the inclusivity and some of these things that we appreciate about it is because that is like the global interpretation of it where like, but do you ever watch that TikToker who has like essentially like a philosophy class and talks about like the social structures and things like that in Harry Potter? Is this the African-American man? Yes. Who, okay. Yes. I I have seen clips and I, I saw one. I didn't watch it all the way through, but he was talking about how everyone actually has a thing for Draco because of fanfic, not because of canon. <laughs> 100% true. Yeah. Um, read Manacled before it gets pulled off the internet this year. Um, I And yeah, like talking about even like the Weasleys as a pureblood family, how they still benefit even though they don't fit into the traditional like pure blood narrative how they still benefit from that system yeah and i th- i think there's i think a lot of it was unintentional if i'm really mm-hmm. honest but how many actual parallels there are to modern society is um, interesting to me i have lots of opinions about jk rowling I uh, like yeah. some, especially some recent shit that's come out like I it's disappointing when someone that you thought was this type of person turns out to be not not it's highly disappointing it's one of those like don't ever meet your idols I guess not that I've ever met this woman but it's just highly disappointing it's like you're not who I thought you were and I think yeah. that you unintentionally created something that has actually had the opposite of effect of what you're currently trying to do. Yeah. But that's Hashtag don't be a turf. Yeah. Don't be a turf. And also, I mean, it's my opinion. So I guess whatever. But anyways, should we get into chapter 11? <laughs> should we? I don't know. We're at an hour and 20 minutes already. Should we get into chapter 11? It's Maybe we hold off until next time. Let's, let's hold off until next time. This is ridiculous. Anyways, uh, so yeah, we made it all the way to chapter 11. Go us. Listen, I'm going to... This one was so not my fault. So not my fault. I definitely kept my mouth shut this episode. I'm going to say that. I mean, it's not my fault. It's not your fault either. Then I have a lot of tabs in my book (laughs) of things we have to talk about. There's nothing wrong with that. Listen, it takes as long as it takes. I'm happy. I'm happy. Audience, I hope you're happy going through it with us. We just, like, there's just so much in this, and it is a very long book with a lot of things that I think matter. I think it's going to take us a couple years to get through Burn Glass at the pace oh that we're on. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, we did do Assassin's Blade already. 
spoiler alert, everyone, that episode is recorded and it's just kind of sitting around waiting for us to start throwing up glass. Um, that is one episode. But it was a short book. But can you imagine the rest of the series? I mean, Kingdom of Ash alone is probably going to take months. Four months. <laughs> months. It's going to take years to get through this. It's going to take series. a long time. Yeah. I hope you're all along for it, the ride with us. It's not my fault that I got <clears throat> you into the Sarah J. Mass Listen, I'm trying scheme. to recruit fellow. This is what this is what happens. I got recruited in. I recruited you and a couple other people. Now you're going to recruit some people. This is why it is a pyramid scheme. It's the best MLM you could ever join. It's so funny. I find like I got a text from a friend today. She was like, "I was so wrong. It's so good." She started Akatar, which I'm like, I told I told her I was like, it just gets successively better from here. Like I'm telling you, so. And then at some point you're gonna read Hofas. Mm-hmm. I I yeah, I'm not too far off. Um, I so. mean you have like eight hundred pages to read. Yeah. Of Kingdom of Ash. This is true, but I I say that meaning like I don't have four books in front of me anymore. No, but I will say you might need a light and fluffy. Mm-hmm palette cleanser i felt like i kind of need like i'm i'm hitting a wall like i'll be real honest so i'm definitely going to probably hit something small and lighthearted in between because yeah i have you're gonna, had you're gonna need a palette cleanser listen, i have had heavy fantasy for nearly the entire year at this point like solid fantasy book so I know it's my fault, um, but maybe you could just like, no, you can't read Emily Henry. That's not going to be light and fluffy for you. No, I've got a few things actually. Like they're not light. They're, I mean, they're not light and fluffy, but they're not heavy. Fantasy. Yeah. yeah. Well, a couple of them are, but I think that they're just because it's such an entire pivot from what yeah. this is. I think it'll be okay. Yeah, I I have I did palette cleansers between because I tandem read Tower of Dawn and Empire of Storm. Mm-hmm. So I did a palette cleanser between them and I also read Fourth Wing. <laughs> You're crazy. I'm insane. Don't- I don't know how you keep these together. Like, I'm sure I drive our listeners crazy. because I'm like, I don't remember. And it's. <laughs> Like, not because I don't care, but it's just because it's, I have a hard time keeping things straight and, like, Jesus Christ. They're very similar in certain aspects. Yeah, there's there's common tropes yeah. in fantasy. Yeah. But so. I read, like, light, f- fluffy, 300-page rom-com books in between, and I needed it because the way Empire Storm ends... Is very heavy. It didn't bother me as much. I, like, it didn't. Heartless wench. I guess so. You. I guess so. All right. Should You're we, a heartless wench. Uh, we'll call it. it. But 
episode title. <laughs> Jill is a heartless wench. No, just heartless wench. You don't have to say Jill is, just heartless wench. <laughs> anyways, anyways. Um, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to check out what is coming up next on the pod, be sure to check us out over on Instagram. It's Mel and Jill Geek Out. Or if you have a suggestion of what we should geek out about next shoot us an email over at jillandmelgeekout at gmail.com. Once again, my name is Melissa. And I'm Jill. And this has been Mel and Jill Geek Out. Bye, guys. Bye.